0: Hello and welcome to the Queer The Experience. I am your host, Casper Oliver. My pronouns are he, him. I am a bisexual trans man and I am an actor of many sorts voice acting, immersion theater, stage, film, whatever I can get my grubby hands on when it comes to entertainment, to be completely honest. And today I am joined by another lovely guest. Please introduce yourself.
1: Uh, my name is uh, Case. Uh, I go by Case Aarons, it's my stage name. Uh, My pronouns are they, them. I am an asexual and a demiromantic, queer, (laughs) I guess, is the way I identify myself. And um, I'm an actor, a writer, just a performer in general, a musician. Just kind of like Casper, I'll do pretty much anything if it's an entertainment.
0: Which I'm starting to find is very common. Just, mm-hmm. just give me some of that good, good
1: performance, please. <laughs> yes, absolutely. It's like a drug.
0: It really is. It truly is. After you hear that first applause, you're like, "Well, I'm hooked." <laughs> and what's exciting about this is this is the second part of our first two-parter, and we are going to be discussing a uh, where I have. Two people come on with different paths to discuss the same topic, and we are going to be discussing being non-binary in the performance space, kind of touch a bit on casting and auditions, but we'll see wherever the conversation leads us. So, Case, what has been your, well, let's start off with the beginning. When did you get into acting? How did you get into performing?
1: Oh my god, I, um, so I uh, come from a fairly religious background. My dad is a Southern Baptist pastor. Um, but he and my mom met at the same school that I eventually ended up going to, which was a private Christian college. And they founded a improvisational theater troupe called the New Edition. And New Edition was their their baby. And they started it and it stayed at the college. It's still at the college now. Um, and so they were theater people in college. And Then, of course, you get into churches and you know how churches love to do their, you know, their pageants and their musicals. So I was probably two or three years old the first time I was on stage uh, doing, you know, I think I played a shepherd in, in in a nativity scene um but yeah ever since then i've been doing it pretty much nonstop so almost almost 30 years
0: <laughs> nah I, I that's funny is i also i grew up in a very religious household and the first time i ever performed was for a church show uh mm-hmm. i don't remember the context but i know from pictures that i played the lips <laughs> I, I, the lips yeah i i we we were all holding like different pictures of body parts like someone played mm-hmm. the eyes and someone played the lips i don't remember the context i was probably 3 or 4 <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, like I totally, churches go all out for their little mini productions.
1: It's oh, absolutely.
0: Especially Baptist.
1: Especially all Baptist. out. Very dramatic, the Baptist. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> so you've been doing it kind of your whole life, but mm-hmm. how long have you been out, if you don't mind me asking, out and embracing and open about your non-binary identity to the extent that you are now?
1: Well, I think like pretty much anybody in the community, it's been a process. Oh, yeah. Um, I, like I said, I went to the same college that my parents went to, which was a private Christian college. I was in the uh, theater program. I specialized in acting and directing. Um, and I actually was in the same uh, improvisational theater troupe that they founded. And while I was at school, I started to uh, come to terms with my sexuality. Um, but not so much my gender. It's kind of the thing, and I hear this a lot from people who have non-conforming genders: is that you kind of do the sexuality journey first, and then you think you're good, and then about three years later, you're like, "Hmm."
0: But wait, there's more.
1: <laughs> but wait, there's more. So I, um, after college, I moved um, to my first my first house away from home in St. Louis, and started working with an acting uh, teacher there in St. Louis, and that was when I really started to be like why do I have to do this traditional femininity thing that I've been doing for the last 20 some years? And that's when I really started. But probably it wasn't until about three years ago that I actually started, you know, I changed the first thing I did was change my pronouns on my Twitter bio and didn't say anything to anybody and just waited for people to notice and ask me about it, you know, but that's when I really first started to be like, out. Yeah, And it's still a process. I'm not 100% out to everyone in the world now. But it's less of a, Less of a, I'm keeping it a secret, more of like, I just don't have the time or the energy to deal with it. So you can find out on your own.
0: <laughs> Understandable. And I think it's very important to note that, you know, I I have asked many times, like, when did you come out? I should word it, when did you first come out? Because right. you never <laughs> stop coming out.
1: No, never.
0: So whenever you meet someone new, whenever you work with a new person, you're constantly coming out
1: or so. analyzing whether it's safe to do so.
0: Exactly. <laughs> So, and uh, what is it that you do primarily? I mean, not right now, because we're in lockdown. um, (laughs) But what sort of acting have you been up to, like most recently within the last few years?
1: Most recently? Well, I work for um, American Immersion Theater. I do uh, princess parties. I do murder mysteries. Um, I haven't really gotten to do any of their like immersion events yet. We don't really have them in my area. But that's been my big thing. Um, Actually, I did it to the exclusion of everything else because when I first joined my troupe I became assistant director very quickly and the responsibility made it too hard to do other theater um but in the more recent years I've gotten to do a little bit of community theater and I actually just came off of a production of The Butler Did It um that was done over Zoom which was a really interesting experience. We'll discuss
0: a little bit about uh the Murder Mystery Company in a bit but before we get to that I would like to ask uh When it's come to things like community theater and whatever else you've done, or even American Immersion Theater, uh, how has you being non-binary, has that had any effect on your experiences with things like auditioning and casting?
1: It's interesting because I said before, you know, obviously coming out is an ongoing process. So I find myself in a situation a lot of times when I go into a casting room, deciding based on the social cues that I'm seeing there, whether or not I'm going to disclose that I'm non-binary because there are still cases where, um, people will be like, I can't do anything with you if you're non-binary. I, and it also, I have kind of, I'm AFAB. So I have a very distinctive like hourglass body shape. I look very feminine. My voice is very feminine. Uh, so a lot of times it's very easy to like justify not saying anything because I'm afraid I won't get cast if I do. But in more recent productions, and in a more recent years, I've started to be a little more open with it because it feels dishonest, not necessarily to the casting directors, but to myself.
0: Right. And it's, it's we're slowly, very slowly, but surely are seeing slight more inclusion and knowledge and awareness
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and I think it's very important. This is something that's been touched on in a few episodes now where getting, you know, like trans people cast in trans roles or just trans people cast in general.
1: Period. Yes.
0: <laughs> and I can totally understand not disclosing, you know, that you are non-binary or people not disclosing that they're trans. Like, I, I hate the idea of passing, but like I pass right. well enough now that if I walked in, they would just go, oh, okay, that's a queer dude. This yeah. is theater. Like whatever. Yeah. you know. <laughs> um. And so it's one of those things where being, I think it's smart to think, will me getting cast risk the role, but at the same time, like how healthy has it been for you in the times that you haven't disclosed?
1: Right. That's, that's, that's really the crux of the issue because I, uh, I, and I, we've actually talked about this before off recording, but, um, I tend to experience dysphoria in my day to day life. but. the training that I received as an actor was to kind of immerse yourself completely in a role. So I really don't mind playing a role that's not my gender. Uh, like I don't care if I'm playing male, female. I don't generally experience dysphoria in this role, So that's good. It more becomes like a mental thing where I, I tend to be very self-critical and beat myself up about it. Being like, hey, if you had been braver about this, you might have gotten this role. And then also given more platform to non-binary people, especially non-binary people who do get dysphoric. But like you said, there's no real way to pass as non-binary, so you just kind of have to. It's kind of a very much a thinking on your feet situation. And um, yeah, in the in the more recent stuff, I've been trying to disclose more frequently when I think it's okay to do so because of my kind of mental self-talk is the really unhealthy thing that I experience as opposed to like dysphoria in a role.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's especially something that we as trans people tend to struggle with where it's, if we could be braver, if we could be stronger, if we could just, you know, but there is a safety aspect Mm -hmm. for not just our personal safety, but also like our careers safety.
1: Yeah. Which
0: is a load of bull honky, but it's the unfortunate truth.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I actually, um, I I do a lot of different acting. So like theater is kind of my big thing, but in more recent years, I've kind of leaned into some voice acting and into like commercial work and film um, my, my agency, I'm not going to use their name here, obviously, but my agency doesn't even have an option on their website for anything but male or female. And so, you know, when I talked to my agency, I didn't really say anything. Cause I was like, well, they don't even have the option. So I'm not going to make a fuss. And most likely they're going to want to cast me in female roles anyway. But then it comes back to that. Am I doing a disservice to other non-binary people by not doing my part to make us more visible? Like we all, I think trans people in general, I think we have this feeling that we should be doing more for the community as a whole. Like, rather than thinking about a decision just as me as an individual, you also kind of think about how is this helping or hurting the trans community?
0: Yeah, and that was something that I actually touched on with uh, socks, where it's like a lot of what we do, especially when it comes to like creating trans roles and creating non-binary roles, like specifically, because you see people making roles for trans men and trans women. Now, if they actually cast trans men and women is an entirely different conversation, Mm -hmm. but you do see those being made. You rarely ever see non-binary roles being written and made unless there's usually a trans person on the creation team.
1: Yes. I actually did a little research before this because I was thinking about stuff like that. Um, my wife and I, our favorite show that just had its most recent season was uh, she and the Princesses of Power. And uh, obviously the show ended, spoiler alert, with you know a lesbian relationship being what saved the world. But there's also a non-binary character in the show who is voiced by a non-binary actor, uh, which is one of the first times I'd ever seen that. And actually about three weeks after the fifth season dropped, Noelle Stevenson, who's the writer of the show and the showrunner, came on Twitter and came out as non-binary, which did not surprise me because, again, you tend to have to have a trans or non-binary creator to get trans or non-binary characters in media.
0: Yeah, and I also brought this up with stocks as well, but you see things like Welcome to Night Vale, one of yeah. my all-time favorite podcasts. It got me into podcasts and really fueled my love for voice acting. But they have so many queer characters like you see same sex relationships, you see trans characters, or like because it's such an otherworldly podcast, you see characters that aren't human, but they're using it as like a metaphor for trans mm-hmm. and, yeah. and whatnot. Um, but there are so many queer people on the team, yeah, for Welcome to Night Vale, and so many actors of color on the team. So like when you see that representation in the media, you look at the creation team and go, oh, of course. But that that kind of falls to that that thought of we constantly having to feel like we have to do all the work.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, Welcome to Nightville is actually another one that came up for me. Um, Sheriff Sam is a non-binary character. Uh, and I actually looked up the actress who plays Sheriff Sam, Sam is a trans woman. So uh. you you do have a trans actor playing a trans character. Um, but I do want to speak to, uh, there is a case in which, and you're probably going to know this cause you've seen me do cosplay and make comments about this before. There is a podcast that does a pretty good job without having, uh, trans people on it. And that's, uh, the Adventure Zone.
0: Yeah. Oh, I love the Adventure Zone.
1: <laughs> I love the McElroys. Uh, they are all cis white boys. Um, and they're all straight. I, although one of them is married to a bi woman. Um, and they, and they actually went to the trans community when they wrote a trans character. And again, in another arc, when they had a non-binary character, Hollis, uh, they went to the trans community and asked people. And like, that's what I think we need to see more of is more, uh, cis and het people like making the effort to include those characters, because right now you mostly see it from trans creators and that's great. And they're going to know best, but unfortunately people tend to listen better to a straight white man than they do to anybody else. So so they should be using their, they should be using that platform to help with representation.
0: Right. Like how uh, one of my favorite podcasts is Schmanners by Travis and his wife, Teresa. I love Schmanners. I love edutainment stuff. Yeah. And they did a whole episode on trans historical figures. They're both, I, I again they're both cis. I believe they're both het. Um, but they really use their platform to share and educate. And they do that a lot sprinkled in douche manners. Mm-hmm. Like when they talk about weddings and stuff, like they're like, Well, yeah. of course this is very, you know, het normative, but you know, and, and that sort of thing. Right. But that is one of the again, another thing I do love about the Macaroids is uh, like, spoiler alert for the Adventure Zone, uh, <laughs> if you haven't finished the first arc, one, please do, two, uh skip ahead about 10 seconds. Um, <laughs> but when they did the whole, like, killing the gays trope, and then they called them out, and we're like, hey, you know, that's a really bad thing, don't do that again. And then Justin, not Justin, then Griffin's like, oh, okay, I'm just gonna bring them back as immortal dryads, you know? Yes. And what- yeah, what. That's not what we were asking for, but we will take this. I
1: love it, yeah. He actually actually did it, I just finished reading the graphic novel based on that uh, series of episodes, Mm -hmm. and actually did it even sooner, like in the graphic novel, before the end of the graphic novel, he's already made clear that they're not dead, Um, which I thought was a nice change, because in the show you do have to wait until the end of the podcast to find out that they are still alive.
0: Yeah, Um, and I think that was more of a, they got called out on it, but now... I've done that three times where I've hit my little pop filter. Um, But now they kind of have the chance to Mm -hmm. make it known sooner than they did the first time. Right. Yeah. But, um, so kind of wrapping back around to, we both work with the Murder Mystery Company. Yes. Uh, Well, American Immersion Theater. Uh, (laughs) The parent company that is not as well known as the Murder Mystery Company. Well, it
1: started as the Murder Mystery Company, and they renamed and, like, added the additional stuff many years later. So, like, when I first started working for them seven years ago, it was just the Murder Mystery Company. So it's been cool to see it grow.
0: Yeah. Um, but there, as you said, like, princess parties and stuff, there's a lot more to it. Um. But, like as you mentioned, with doing you know princess parties and stuff like that, I know that I have a few princess actors in my troupe who are non binary um, a fab more feminine presenting uh, but are non binary and I kind of wanted to touch on. you said that you don 't get a lot of dysphoria when playing female characters um, how has there been any sort of good or pros or cons to performing with a company like you know, American immersion theater as a queer individual, as a trans individual, because um, every troupe is different. We've talked a lot, a little bit about this pre-recording, but I would mm-hmm. like to hear your your thoughts on that as a performer.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, well, first off, American immersion theater has always been really good about that. They've been very accepting of people. Um, we have a lot of, you know, queer people within our troupe here in Kansas City as well. Um, Again, like you said, it's a little bit different in different areas. Like I know the New York troupe has to deal with different issues than we do here in the middle of the country. Um, so sometimes it feels like, especially when you're doing shows in smaller venues, that you have to be a little more conservative. Um, but again, our troupe has found a really good way of, you know, incorporating – ourselves into like our characters' backstories, communicating with each other on what we see about our characters that may be queer, even if we can't find like a canonical queer fact about them in the script, you can kind of add that to the backstory. And there are several characters within the company that not only are written kind of as gender neutral, they encourage you to either cross-dress or to play the character as a different gender than is written, um, which I think is really great because it makes makes, uh, queer actors more comfortable in that environment. So I think they've done, I think the company has done a pretty good job in that specific avenue in making uh, things more available and more, more true to yourself.
0: Yeah, and one of my things, um, this is something that I see because I'm a director, um, on the more logistical side of things is when when you work for American Immersion Theater Murder Mystery Company, there is a website that all of the actors have login information for. That's how they request shows, get show information, and what have you. And one of the great things about that is you don't have to put your, if you are a trans performer, you don't have to put your dead name for everyone else to see. Like I have actors who've come in as long as your legal name is on your tax return information, they don't care what name is on the website. So like you could have someone who's a trans man coming in, put their chosen name. And that's the only name, all the actor, all of your other actors, people we'll at HQ. You and it's, beautiful in that sense because you know if my legal name had to be put for everyone to see no one in my troop like everyone would know my dead name
1: yeah and they they're doing they they do a pretty good job of changing it should do transition while you're in the troop i had an actor in our troop who transitioned while they were in the troop and changed their name and uh, the company it took a while just because of logistical reasons and because of all the things that are going on but the company had no qualms or problems about changing uh, their name in the system, even if it wasn't legally changed. So,
0: yeah, which is so important, and that it, it can be so life changing for the for the person transitioning to have that respected, and to even mm. if you if your birth name, your dead name is still on your ID, at least at work, you know, it can be respected as that right. uh, as what you've chosen. So with the your experiences with um, like murder mystery parties and princess parties and your fellow actors, has there been any time where you've really found yourself kind of able to grow more within your identity? Because I've heard that a lot of th- trans people especially within AIT have used it as a method of growing into their identity. And I just kind of wanted to see if that was a thing for you as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess to a certain extent it is, um, when I first started with the company, um, I was, yeah, pretty much exclusively playing female roles. Uh, What actually happened, it wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with my identity or anything. It was just a fact of the matter, which is pretty common in almost any theater is that you have more female or female presenting actors than you do male or male presenting actors. Just for whatever reason, that seems to be the case almost all across the board, like you see it on Broadway even. Um, So whenever we needed actors and they weren't available, I started getting cast as a detective. Um, Now, generally speaking, I do play my detective as uh, either female or non-binary without making it an issue to the audience. Again, it's like backstory yeah um, but being able to play this character that because since the company's bread and butter is murder mysteries, this is not necessarily a bad thing, but a lot of the characters lean very heavily on stereotypes. right So you've got the femme fatale, so like e- all female characters are either evil or kind of you know trashy or like really dumb. They've got the dumb blonde stereotype, and then you've got like the old lady stereotype, you've got the buff guy. like it's all stereotypes because that's how murder mysteries work, right ever since Agatha Christie. Um, but I didn't really realize it whenever I was just playing those roles, you know, um, but whenever I got to start playing some of the roles that were written originally as male or not written with a gender in mind, and there wasn't that stereotype there, I realized what was happening. And I realized that that's what I wanted more of. And I wanted to be something that was outside of a box that couldn't be com- necessarily confined to one label. Um, and that could kind of move through different labels at will. And so, yeah, I would say that that definitely helped me mentally on the journey to, like, kind of come to terms with my own uh, gender identity.
0: Which I've seen, you know, that that was, we had our first episode guest, Ashley, and that was something that we touched on, was them kind of coming into their own through playing more masculine characters and more male-presenting characters, mm-hmm. uh, and them kind of finding that comfort in there. Now, you, it seems like you've had a pretty good time with, AIT and your gender and your sexuality being respected with those you're out to and that not so much being an issue, has it ever been an issue, you, you kind of mentioned the fear of it being an issue, Yeah. like stage production, and you mentioned you do voice stuff, has it ever been an issue for you when it's come to stage and voice?
1: Um, to, to lesser extent, yes. A lot of it is more um, restrictions I've placed on myself. But I have had casting directors explicitly tell me, and I think they're trying to say it out of like a place of kindness, but they'll say things like, well, don't, don't tell anybody that, uh, just keep that to yourself. Like we, we respect your identity, but we don't have a role for you. It seems like a lot of casting directors are very uh, binary in their thinking. And so it's like, there are male roles and there are female roles. And if you're not a male or a female, then there is not a role for you. Um, But there are a lot of non-binary people in higher places that are starting to demand these roles. I'm actually, uh, Asia Kate Dillon is an actress who um, was playing a character on, gosh, I can't even remember the show she was on, but she was, they had written a character and they hadn't decided the gender they wanted for a character. They hadn't thought of anything particular. And then they hired uh, Asia Kate uh, Dillon to play the character. And they said, well, I'm non-binary, so why don't you just make the character non-binary? Like they could have chosen to just play it as female because they're AFAB, but they specifically went to the director and said that. And so then they got a non-binary character that way. And so to me, that is what we should be doing more of. But then you have a casting director who's like, oh, well, keep that to yourself. Keep that on the down low, especially in voice acting, because, and I think all trans people have this experience. You have to change your voice. Like, um, again, it's hard as a non-binary person because it's like, oh, men have low voices, women have high, high voices. What voice does a non-binary person have? Um, so yeah, there's not any voice acting for non-binary unless you're talking about like GLAD or something, you know? Right. So voice, voice, uh, voice casting directors most often have been the culprit there. But I've, I've seen some of it from other directors who are like, I think I'm doing you a favor by recommending that you keep this to yourself, but really I'm just not letting you be true to yourself.
0: Yeah, and that, there's kind of this, There, there's that sort of ignorance that comes from, they are trying, you know, to yeah. be respectful, but it comes from a source of being uneducated and being mm-hmm. uh, kind of this whole, oh, well, I know what's best. And what's best is for you to just keep it to yourself. That'll reduce harassment, that'll this and that. But then that lowers the level of authenticity.
1: And it lowers your trust in a director. If I have a director come to me and be like, I know you're non-binary, but I want you to play this character ultra-feminine and I don't want you to tell anyone you're non-binary, the trust, which is so important between an actor and director, it's gone. I don't trust that director anymore.
0: Yeah, because then comes that whole, like, are you respecting my gender identity when I'm not around? Are Mm -hmm. you using my correct pronouns? Like, I've never had that issue in a professional sense, but I have had it in a personal sense with, like, family, where it's like, once you feel, like, that question of, okay, I know that you're using my proper pronouns and name with me, but are you doing that with when you're talking to other people? And just that trust is shattered. Mm-hmm. And if you don't already have a rapport, like with a casting director, if you've just met them and they come to, you, it's like, well, why should I? Uh,
1: why Want should to I work be tra- with you? Yeah.
0: And as mentioned, the amount of non-binary roles is so minimal, and we are just now starting to see it and I think it's also a whole other talk that could be had another day of how more often than not non-binary roles aren't even human
1: yeah it's Um, kind of it's kind of in the same wheelhouse as the first Disney movie that had an African-American princess made her a frog for half the movie
0: if not more you know like Mm -hmm. it's like okay you were trying but you really just
1: I think of Janet from The Good Place as a good example of a non-binary character that's not even human. Like, I do love Janet, and I, like, claim her as a non-binary character, but she's like a, she's like an afterlife robot or
0: something. Yeah. And it's, like, I, I, I have seen a lot of people being, you know, when they're like, oh, the girl, and then Janet's just, I'm not a girl. And it's, like, that is important to see, but you know that Janet is saying that because, because she's, she's a not
1: robot. human, right. right.
0: <laughs> now, and it's, like, again, it was that close.
1: So close. So, so close. close. Not I, quite there.
0: I realized I did that and only you can see me. Um, <laughs> so close. So, and it, that's, it's it, some, some parts say, well, it's better than no representation, but at the same time, it's like, is it doing more harm than good? You know, because it's dehumanizing an entire g- gender identity.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And like, we've seen this before, with uh, asexual identities, like you have, the when you do have a human character who is asexual, like I think of the most popular one is probably Sheldon Cooper on The Big Bang Theory. But he's cold and he's not he's not friendly with other people. He's kind of aggressive with his intelligence and like doesn't make a character that you want to love. Right. Whereas whereas um, and like or as villains, it's like way back as far as like you know Jafar being kind of queer coded as a gay man, like sure it's queer representation but it's not explicit and it is a person who's trying to take over the world and destroy everything you love so
0: like with ursula being based off of a drag queen
1: yes exactly
0: so and i've I've heard people touch on like that sort of representation where um it's so ingrained that we don't even think about it anymore it's just sort of done because that's how it's been done and That that there was another talk that I had recently of like the whole, of course the villains are the most relatable, and I was touching on that mostly because of like trauma and mental health, but that also anger
1: and having anger.
0: Yeah, but that could also feed into with the queer coding. Of Mm -hmm. course, the queer community are going to latch on to the characters that seem most like them, and Mm -hmm. that's usually through villains.
1: Yeah. Yep. Jafar was my favorite character. I was, I was three years old when Aladdin came out and my mom's like, did you like the movie? Yep. My favorite character was Jafar. Same.
0: Jafar and Jeannie were my two favorites. Yep. And
1: Also, I claim Jeannie is non-binary rep anyway. So. Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, basically anything that Robin Williams plays can just, in my heart of hearts. But belongs
1: to me. It's mine. It's mine. <laughs>
0: And, but you see that a lot. And there was also, oh Lord, I'm trying to think now. Um, There are other characters that I'm trying to think of and I see their faces like Hades from Hercules yes. or Ursula from the Little Mermaid or Scar. Or Scar. Scar. Oh, I love Scar. I, I love, love Scar.
1: Scar. What a drama queen.
0: Oh yes. But so queer coded and also yeah. even characters like Cruella Vil and Maleficent, even though well, they even
1: like, even in more modern stuff. Like I, I already dragged the princess and the frog once, but Dr. Facilier, same thing. Yeah. Comes across definitely queer coded. And that was 2009.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and they, they, you know, I, I love princess and the frog. It's one of my favorite Disney movies. Oh, there's a lot favorite. of, there's a lot of issues with it. The execution also wasn't
1: very good. <laughs>
0: yes. Like the, the execution wasn't that good, but it was such a good movie. Um, so it's like there's that queer-codedness and the dehumanizing of asexual, aromantic folks, um, and also non-binary people. And like, for, for example, one of the things a show I do love and have talked about is Good Omens.
1: Yes. Love good Oh my God. Oh my God.
0: And how they handled gender was really interesting with like casting where you have angels with very masculine names being played by AFAB and more feminine presenting people like um, Pestilence. I think they changed the name from Pollution to Pestilence. Uh,
1: pollution. Well, vice versa. They changed it from Pestilence to Pollution. Okay.
0: All right. I knew uh, it was- Lour-
1: Lourdes, Lourdes Fabre, I think, is the name of the actress who plays Pollution.
0: And it was really cool because it was like, if I remember correctly, I it's been a while since I've seen it. I saw it when I first came out, fell in love with it, rewatched it once and haven't since. Um, oh,
1: I hyperfixated big time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. And also the whole thing with Crowley as the nanny. And that was- Crowley.
1: It was, Yeah, Crowley,
0: so good. And it was never once treated as a joke with with David Tennant in a dress with makeup and a wig. It was never a joke. It was just, this is how
1: Crowley's presenting. I love my nanny, you know, like. One of the the moments that hit, actually Crowley was a character, uh, because I read the book way back, God, years and years ago. So I've been always obsessed with it. And it's that thing whenever a book you love gets adapted into television or film and you're like, I hope they don't screw it up. Um, and what actually happened was talk about, um, like having a reckoning with your own gender identity. Crowley is like the pinnacle ideal of like gender identity for me. Like if I could be anything, that's what I would want, would want to be. And like Nanny was really good, but what really got me like, and it was on the first rewatch or the first watch that I noticed that other people didn't even comment on it until the second or third rewatch is in Mesopotamia, whenever they're at the scene of the crucifixion and Crowley's wearing women's clothes. Like, and nobody, like, there's no opportunity for pronouns to be used for Crowley in that scene, but I suspect if they had been, they would have been female pronouns. Like, at that time, for whatever reason, Crowley's female. And, like, maybe later, Crowley will be male or uh, gender neutral, you know? Yeah. And it's just, like, it was so, it was so a non-issue that I just, like, fixated on it for weeks and weeks. I was so happy with that representation. Yeah, and
0: it's, and it's always so nice and also i think it was neil gaiman who confirmed that all angels are like asexual yes and that that is i i loved it and it's just kind of one of those things again where it's the angels now of course looking at good omens most of the characters except for like five are either angels or demons right so like of course um And I love Good Omens. I am not even remotely bashing on Good Omens. But if we could get that sort of representation with human characters...
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: That would be amazing. Like, just take that and put it on humans.
1: Well, what I think people need to do is, and Neil Gaiman confirmed that they did this, when they cast all of the angels and demons, they did full gender-blind casting for the show. That's why you have uh, Michael and uh, Uriel are, like, played by, like, female performers because they cast the best person for the role regardless of their gender. And, uh, you know, Hamilton, whatever criticisms you may have of it, kind of introduced the conversation of race-blind casting. And I think it's really high time that we start having the conversation about gender-blind casting as well.
0: Yeah. And that is a thing that I do, I you know... Hamilton's not perfect, but I do I, right? I love it as a musical. Just yes. as a musical. And I do love what it did for, you know, the acting community in the sense of look, we can have of color actors playing, you know, these characters. We can this is a thing we can do. It is a mm-hmm. monumental success. And people are getting into musicals because of Hamilton. Right. And yeah, so this can be done, you know, looking at the rest of Broadway, like we can do this. Mm-hmm. And I agree. It's high, high time that it should be the performer based on their skills. Yes. And I feel like it could be a, a better gateway for non-binary performers to really get their foot in the door. If we stop looking at it as exactly as you said, You have male characters and you have female characters or what have you. And then non-binary performers are getting shut out because, well, you're not male or female, so none of these roles are for you. But it kind of plays back into what you were saying with playing roles like with murder mystery parties that are perceived as male or perceived as female, or in your head, you're like playing the detective and it's like, I know my character is non-binary. Like, as I said with you, when I play the 1920s gangster, in my mind, I'm like, I am a gay trans man in the 1920s, hence this and that is why I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. The, the audience is never gonna know. Well, okay, they may know the gay part because I am flamboyant as like a herd of flamingos, but <laughs> <laughs> but they won't know the trans thing. Right. And it can still be liberating for you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and, but I think there need to be more companies like AIT that are like okay you're talented you can play this role go for it
1: yeah well and it's a benefit to to cis actors as well because right now what happens i mean you saw with uh with uh scarlett johansson fairly recently was going to play a trans man in a movie and everyone was like fuck no you're not because there are all these trans actors out there who are not getting roles and you're going to give it to a cis woman like ridiculous But if all casting was gender-blind casting, then there wouldn't be as much of a need for that and there wouldn't be as much intensity and, like, vitriol whenever something like that did happen. Because, oh, sure, Scarlett Johansson played a trans man in this movie, but this trans actor played this cis character or, like, this character is non-binary canonically. Like, whenever there's equal representation, when there's equity in the roles, people are going to get less defensive about roles.
0: Yeah, and I, I touched on this in the previous episode where, like, that that defensiveness wouldn't be there if the representation was there. Exactly. Trans actors wouldn't be getting mad about this if trans actors were getting cast.
1: hmm
0: You know, so if... But trans- we're sitting
1: at home collecting unemployment while this millionaire plays a role that is meant for one of us, like...
0: Exactly, and that happens... So often, like, I can think off of the top of my head, off the top of my head, and I know that there's more than just this, one trans character played by a trans performer, and that's Laverne Cox mm-hmm. in Orange is the New Black. And I know that there's more. I Keep in mind, I've also never seen Orange is the New Black, but I just know of Laverne Cox. Right,
1: everybody knows. Cause, yeah. Yeah.
0: And... But I can think of so many times that trans characters have been played by cis actors.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And also, I, I kind of have a lesser intensity of queer, of straight actors playing queer characters. Yeah. Because you are seeing more gay actors and bi actors and all that. Like, you do see them getting roles. But that's still kind of like a little gripe of mine, especially if the role is about being queer. Right, yeah. Like, if you had Kurt Hummel from Glee, played by a straight actor, it's like, oh, no, no. Because it's, like, all about him being gay. Right. But if a character kind of just so happens to be gay, I might be a smidgen more lax on it.
1: Yeah, it's, we're getting there. The thing is, yeah. the thing is, there's still not, the, like, we're sitting here today talking about non-binary representation in media. But the fact of the matter is, we still haven't mastered Gay or bi or ace representation in media, like they're all still a work in progress. Not just not. It's just like this is a, the newest thing that people are starting to say. Hey, you have to pay attention to this too.
0: Right, because it's like you know, people. There are so many people who don't even know that non-binary is a thing. Right. You, you still have people who I'm still coming out to family who doesn't even know what a trans man is. I'm like, it's 2020.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How have you? It's all over the place, but the fact that people don't even respect that non-binary people exist or that it's a real thing that does have its hand in the performing arts and you see it
1: everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, And every, every non-binary performer that I know, like I said, I went, I went through, like, I wrote down the ones that came up to my head uh, right off the bat. And then I like actually went to Wikipedia and like looked up roles. And then I looked up the actors who played the roles to see if they were like actually non-binary and like, I would say that 90% of the time that there is a non-binary character, they're played by a cis person. Yeah. But the cases where you saw non-binary actors playing non-binary characters is because they advocated for themselves. Uh, I already mentioned Asia Kate Dillon. Uh, Alex Newell, who was on Glee as a character called Unique, I believe. I didn't really watch Glee. Um, he uh, is a gender-fluid person. And he plays a character called Mo on Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. He actually got an entire episode about his gender identity. And I like lost my mind. I was like crying like a baby, but he had to fight tooth and nail to get it. Um, As opposed to whenever people throw a non-binary character into it and the casting director is like, Oh, I put a non-binary character in there. Now I can cast whoever I want. And I'm going to make Chris Evans be this non-binary character because it'll get me money at the box office. Like that's not real representation. Like, is it better than nothing? I guess.
0: <laughs> but yeah.
1: it's not it's not helping actual non-binary people in any material way.
0: Right. And you see that. And that's why I think things like Steven Universe. Oh, yes. if I could have had Steven Universe when I was a kid.
1: God, like, right?
0: Go going back to whole how the villains are the only characters ever angry or hurt, like the way they're doing that with Steven, I'm loving it, honestly. I mm-hmm. haven't seen the most recent. Um, Steven Universe Future or Forever or whatever. Yeah, it is. F-
1: Steven Universe Future. Yeah, because that's one of the ones that came up in my yeah <laughs> my but research. I,
0: but I, I, but I saw the movie. I have a spinel tattoo. I am not ashamed. I um, <laughs> love it. And it's, but they also have done such a great job with having, you know, like. Non-binary characters like Stavani is the first that comes to mind,
1: right? And that was 2013. Rebecca Rebecca Sugar actually said that all of the gems are non-binary women, yeah, um, because she's a non-binary woman. Again, it goes back to the creator is also part of that community, and that's when you finally get that representation.
0: Yeah, or um, like Rainbow Quartz 2.0 mm-hmm. when Pearl and Steve uh, Stephen finally fused one. Uh, that character maybe had, what, five minutes of screen time, but I'm obsessed. Yeah. <laughs> and, and if I remember correctly, um, I believe that Rainbow Courts 2.0 was one of, like, the three gems played by not-female voice actors. Yes, yes. And all of the voice actors that have played gems that are not female-presenting or female-identifying have all been either non-binary or someone playing a, a character using he/him pronouns, and the actor uses he/him pronouns, but mm-hmm. is very queer. <laughs> like, right. Um, right. I think Emerald was played by a drag a non-binary drag queen.
1: Yeah, and there's a character in Steven Universe Future which I haven't. I'll admit. My Steven Universe knowledge is more limited. I've only seen some of it. I'm not very. I'm a bad non-binary person. <laughs> I haven't seen all of Steven Universe, but I've seen some of it. And like, uh, they do have non-binary actors, uh, and even again, when they're not, there's still people who are like part of the community or very supportive of the community. Uh, AJ Micalica, Micala, McC- I never can pronounce it right. Um, of Ali and AJ fame, for me, an old millennial, um, she she actually did the voice for Stevani. And she also did the voice for Catra in um, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power. So uh, you're kind of seeing this recurring thing where there's the same people who are taking the roles because there's not a huge amount of roles and there's not a, uh, they're not like seeking out non-binary actors as much. And so when you do have them, you grab them and you right. hold on to them.
0: And it would just, a thing that you and I touched on, and this is actually something that Sox touched on as well, and I would love to go further into this with your perspective, is when doing things like voice acting or getting an agent, we don't need to talk specifically about your agency, but just in general, how, especially in voice acting, but this happens all over, where agencies will show a roster of their Mm -hmm. actors, usually sorted by male and female. Yep. Now, this is just like a little personal thing before we continue forward. I do identify, I I say I'm a trans man, but I've said this multiple times. I'm like 85% man, rest of it's shrug. So, like, could use demi boy, but transmasculine works, too. So, like, right. if I were put on a roster for male actors, I'd much prefer that over a ro- being put on a roster for female actors, surely. But, like, it, it still wouldn't feel quite right. Like, mm-hmm. if they're, if, if, because it's, like, they're, they, they desperately want to stick people in a box.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, at the very beginning of this, I was, like, oh, I'm non-binary and asexual and demiromantic. But whenever I talk to straight people, I'm a lesbian. Right. Because it's easier because they want even even straight people who are willing to like start being more open to other things like that. They still want to put it in a box. And so you you kind of have to, you know, work with that. Like, again, my, um, like with the agency rosters, like a lot of times they have male and female. They don't have non-binary. They don't even have an acknowledgement of an actor being trans. And a lot of times a trans actor, is going to want that not only for their own benefit like emotionally and spiritually but also because there are roles and getting casting directors to cast trans people in trans roles requires them to know who's trans like it's that weird it's that weird junction of like oh passing you want to pass as like the gender that you identify with but also you want people to know that you're trans at the same time yeah It's it's a kind of weird dichotomy that we kind of experience
0: yeah, and it's like I I joked when I started um this is a total side tangent, but when I was identifying and presenting as female, I wasn't really open about my attraction to men because, mm-hmm. you know, the fetishization of bi women and just all that nonsense. God, right, yes. <laughs> but now that I'm presenting as ma- as male and people see me as a man, I'm like Oh well, and because I'm engaged to a woman, uh, there's a lot of. They're like, "Oh, you're
1: straight? No, I'm not."
0: Oh, honey, no, 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 no. 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 Like, I'm actually attracted to men physically more often than women. Um, Emotionally, I'm more attracted to women than men. It's what what what's attraction? It's
1: like it's like the thing is like I say this I say this to my queer friends a lot. I've probably never said this in front of a straight person because they would lose their mind. I don't know if straight is like a real thing <laughs> like I feel like if people were to explore and like think about things more critically like would they consider themselves heterosexual would they consider themselves cisgendered if if they were like oh I can be 90% a woman but sometimes like on the weekends I I feel like I don't have a gender at all I can do that and I'm like yes you can then like if everybody realized that and accepted that would there be straight people yeah yeah <laughs>
0: like it sounds crazy but like no because like I I have people who are very near and dear to me who are like I I have this one person in particular who has said to me multiple times it's like oh I'm straight as a board but that guy and I'm like you can say that once you can say that twice but this dude has said that to me at least 10 times with 10 different dudes and (laughs) I'm like I'm like bro listen it's okay
1: it's okay to be 90% Into women, 10% into men, but you're still bi. Yeah,
0: it's like, and that's okay. Right. Especially because this dude has two queer kids and a queer wife. I'm like, you can come out. It's okay. (laughs) Yeah, I
1: think it really, I think, and that's another benefit of having that visibility, like having queer characters in television, whether they be non-binary, you know, gay or, you know, whatever, is like. People who would not otherwise think critically about gender and sexuality are going to have to because they're seeing it, they're being confronted with it. Right. And I think that's, I think that's good for everybody's mental health. Yeah. Gray, just,
0: gay, whatever. <laughs> it's seeing characters that you can go, oh, that's me. Mm-hmm. Like, and I, I don't do that with gender as much anymore because I've started to get into kind of more niche media that has more trans representation. Right. For me, it's mostly like mental health where, and it's, again, it's almost always the villains where I like, I played a game called Smile for me recently, which I highly recommend Smile for me. This is not an official plug. I am not sponsored. I just love this game. (laughs) It was made by two queer trans creators. I'm and <laughs> it's like 12 bucks on Steam. It takes less than 5 hours to complete. It, Hell yeah. And there's a lot of queer representation. There's a lot of lesbian romances. There's a lot of like there's only like 20 characters and I can't think of a single one of them that I looked at and was like oh that's a straight one.
1: <laughs> like, I love it. love to hear it. <laughs>
0: the the antagonist which if you get the good ending, uh there's a really good redemption. Um but is very queer coded and they kind of, it seems like it was an accidental trans coded and the fandom was like, Hey, I think he's trans. And the creators were like, Oh, Oh, you're right.
1: Well, and so many people write trans stories without realizing it. Yeah. The the first time, if you want the honest truth, the first time I was ever like, your gender can be something that's different than what they told you whenever you came out of the hospital is watching Danny Phantom as a child. (laughs) I was like, oh I get it
0: yeah or it's kind of like how so many people saw Velma from Scooby-Doo and like oh oh honey that's a gay right there and now she's canonically, canonically a lesbian
1: lesbian, yeah
0: and but how long was it just all speculation
1: right you know exactly.
0: it, for years that that show started before I was born if I remember correctly like
1: oh yeah that show's been on the air for 40 years almost.
0: Okay. So that's like twice as old as I am Um, (laughs) a little less, but like it's so that representation, it sometimes is unintentional, but as you said, there is a way that creators can go back and say, okay, it seems like they're being perceived as this. So I will say that's okay as the creator. Yes. And a certain, you know, wizarding author who really (laughs) didn't make that good of books to begin i mean that's coming from someone who loved the media oh Um, yeah
1: oh yeah Mm -hmm.
0: not objectively it's been
1: a weird couple of uh couple of months for uh trans harry potter fans it really has
0: yeah yeah um but you know some people just did it really poorly for clout and brownie points and then Mm -hmm. turned around and showed they really don't care Mm -hmm. and i think the main issue is that you know she had the opportunity to like confirm it you know, not they, only
1: confirm it, but, like, they had, she had canon material that was coming out after she said it. Yeah. Like, the fact that Dumbledore and Grindelwald are not in a relationship in the movies that came out after she said that Dumbledore and Grindelwald were in a relationship just really shows her ass. Like, Yeah.
0: It's, like, <laughs> you you could have shown it, you could have shown your, like, true support, but no. like it was for clout. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, and, yeah. And
1: I think queer people can tell the difference between representation that's for clout and that's like genuinely trying. I think that a lot of straight, a lot of straight creators and showrunners are afraid because, again, like I said, a lot of them, a lot of times you see non-binary trans rep, it's coming from non-binary or trans creators. I think a lot of straight creators are afraid, like even good ones who th- who want to be representative, are afraid that they're gonna get dragged for doing it for clout. But the fact of the matter is, queer people can tell. Yeah. Whether it's for clout or whether it's a genuine effort.
0: Yeah. And like, you can also usually tell in the works, like, you know, again, like with Welcome to Night Vale, mm-hmm. for a long time, it was just three white dudes and one white woman. That was it. At the mm-hmm. very beginning, that's really all it was. And this is coming from someone who I, I got into the podcast when there was only like, I think maybe 20 episodes out. Like, yeah, I same. I got into it ages ago. and like, I, I remember when it was a tiny, tiny following, you had maybe three artists making fan art of it. Like that was it, you know, yeah. you scrammaged for anything you could get. And that was all that was on the crew, but they still made it obvious that there were characters of color in mm-hmm. Welcome to Night vale by either using like names that aren't often associated with, with white people or using character descriptors of um characters like their hair or what have you that it's like okay that's not a typical white person trait and then when they started finally getting the money and the volume to get voice actors on for those characters
1: mm-hmm.
0: they really showed their stuff by casting actors of color for like tamika yeah. flynn or you know, for carlos for
1: carlos like dylan Marin, yeah like because oh they I had a dylan different Marin. they had a different voice actor for carlos And once they got the money to have voice actors, they hired somebody who was the same race as Carlos rather than just having like, the guys who were there do it.
0: Yeah, because I think the first, like,
1: two, like, the first I think Joseph did it.
0: Yeah, and then they realized, oh, we probably shouldn't have a white guy playing Carlos. And so they got the money they were able to bring on Dylan. And I loved their whole, like, narrative reason as to why Dylan's, yeah. uh, Carlos's voice changed. Oh, throat spiders. But it's still throat me.
1: spiders.
0: <laughs> and, and now Dylan is Carlos. And yeah. it's, it's, that, that's what shows the true level of, authenticity to your representation. Mm
1: -hmm. And you're committed to actually representing characters fairly and like realistically.
0: Yeah. And I feel like it's one of those things that's kind of harder when it comes to like written narratives, like books where it's just the author really doing Mm -hmm. all the work. But with us in the entertainment industry, when it comes to audio dramas, stage theater, movies, you can write these queer characters. You can write these, you know, these trans characters, these non-binary characters. You can write these characters of color and then give that role to the person that you know to the people it belongs to
1: yes absolutely and so I think that like yeah I think like for example we we talked about the McElroys earlier I think that more I think there are probably straight creators out there who want to be more inclusive but are like living in that kind of fear of being like accused of doing it for clout but you can see there's evidence of like straight creators who are like making the effort and going to people or I think about um another example I actually just watched the other night uh, crazy Ex-Girlfriend had a, reu- a Zoom reunion, and they talked about the show, and uh, it was, again, this is mental health as opposed to, but it's it's the same cr- concept. Uh, the, the showrunner, who also plays the lead actress, Rebecca, um, realized as she was writing the show that this character had more than just anxiety and depression, which is what she had personal experience with when she started writing. So she went to the Writers Guild and was like, hey, here's my character. I think they have mental issues other than just anxiety and depression. Can you help me diagnose them correctly? I think she might be borderline. They looked at it. They were like, yes, she's borderline. Um, it wasn't just her like making a guess. Like she went to people who would know. And that's, that's really the key is if you are a creator who is not that minority and you want to create minority characters, go talk to those minority people and ask them for help. Yeah. They're not going to begrudge you that they're going to be excited that you're willing to like put their voices out there.
0: Yeah, and that's actually something kind of akin to that happened. My, my favorite movie, well, I have like five favorite movies, but one <laughs> of my favorite movies is Pacific Rim. And I have always really highly related to Newt Geisler. Mm-hmm. And I remembered watching the movie and going, oh, this dude is definitely queer. Uh, and they actually confirmed it in the bonus material. Like if you go through and look at all the character profiles, it says, um, it's like attraction or whatever. And his thing is, to anyone who will have him, I'm like <laughs> one mood. Um, <laughs> two, and I, I also looked at him. And I was like, this guy definitely has borderline because mm-hmm. they play him and they show him and they wrote him as very neurodivergent, but they didn't ever like. He had no point says, "Well, I went to my therapist today because right. I." Know that. But a a university of col- some college kids at a university were diagnosing like fictional characters, and they diagnosed Newt Geisler with borderline personality disorder reached out to the creators and like made this article about it and the creators were like yeah that that seems that seems to hit the nail on the head like i I don't even know if the creators knew about borderline personality disorder but even them describing his sexuality that way like just Mm -hmm. fits in with it and so that's another case of backtracking and i'll admit i haven't seen the second movie mostly because i got a spoiler about the second movie and i got really mad about it oh no Uh, i think there was i think there was a different director
1: yeah, I think but the so. second
0: one, and a lot of people said it showed. Um, I do still want to watch it, but, and it, 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 I heard a lot of people say they kind of leaned more into showing his attraction towards men. I, I don't know if that was like a fan speculation or not. I'll give it a shot. I'll get mad about <laughs> it, but I'll go see it, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll watch it. Um, but yeah, like that, that sort of representation is very important. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's like you get characters that aren't going to say in a professional work environment when trying to hey. stop the apocalypse, I have BPD.
1: But like I have f- BPD and I'm pansexual. Like, what of it? It's like, yeah. that, that doesn't make sense in the narrative, but that doesn't mean, and that's what we need to see more of. Like, I definitely am not opposed to queer stories about queer people. And God knows I write them. Like, I'm, I've been working for three years on a, a one-person show that's basically like a parody musical talking about, like, all of these different identities and things. Um, and working through them but there's a lot of value in a character that's just like I'm a doctor who is also gay or I'm a teacher who happens to you know have borderline personality disorder. like it doesn't have to be the entirety of their arc it's just a a facet of their personality just like everything else
0: right and like I said this actually I've said this in a few episodes now um, (laughs) where I would love and there's this whole thing with people getting sick and tired of um, cliches or mm-hmm. whatever, where it's like, oh, of course, the romance is going to play out like this because that's how it always does. But right. but it seems somehow refreshing when it's that exact same cliche, but with like queer characters.
1: Oh my God, yes.
0: Because yes. we don't get that. You know, it, it's new to us to see. Yeah. And I would love, I, I'm a weenie when it comes to watching horror. I love acting in horror, I love reading horror, I love listening to horror, I can't watch horror. Um, yeah. I love the community behind horror, can't watch it. <laughs> but I would love to see a horror film where you know you have all those teenagers going on a road trip, their car breaks down and oh no, it's a slasher film. What if it was a bunch of drama kids, a bunch of queer drama kids? It, it, yeah. it goes exactly the same way that a slasher film would, but it's just a bunch of queer kids. You don't have to make it about them being queer. And it would be fresh. It would feel new because mm-hmm. we as queer people don't Haven't get gotten that. We yeah. don't, and it's often the representation of well, it's the queer story. It's like that's great. That's literally our lives every day.
1: Right. Thank you
0: for that. This is all. Thank you
1: for making me relive coming out to my mom at Christmas. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) You know, so, well, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, we have definitely gone longer than planned, but that's (laughs) a, okay. This has been a good time. Uh, now to, to start wrapping up, if you were to meet someone like a younger you, when you were first trying to figure yourself out or like, let me think of a better way to word this. If you were to talk to someone who was kind of in your shoes early on when it comes to auditioning or performing while non-binary and they were really kind of struggling, what sort of advice would you give to them with the knowledge that you have now?
1: Hmm. I think this sounds so damn cliche, but I think honestly, like the only thing you can tell somebody is like you've got to be true to yourself. Like it's a very... The thing is, it's very personal. The reason that you can have a two-part episode about being non-binary in the entertainment world is because Socks and I have widely different experiences and we're different people who react to things differently. So like, really what it comes down to is you have to learn to be comfortable with who you are and confident in who you are. Um, and nine times out of 10, whenever you're confident in yourself, like you're going to be able to do things you didn't think you were otherwise going to be able to do. Um, like I'm currently working on, uh, in addition to the one-person show, I'm working on a director, a local director who wants to do Les Miserables. My favorite character in Les Miserables is Angérace, who in actual French history was um, named after a woman who wrote pamphlets about French Revolution, and she used the pen name of Angérace because no one would listen to a woman back then. And so I've been working on this director just like nudging them towards this for years and years being like, man, it would be cool if you had a woman or a trans person play Angel Ross and not like change anything, just like do that and don't say anything about it because it adds more depth to that character, like stuff like that. Like when you find opportunities to make your own content, like my, my biggest, I'm a huge fan of like Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, Rachel Bloom, these people, uh, Rebecca Sugar, uh, no- Noel Stevenson, these people who were like, I'm not seeing myself represented in media, so I'm going to go out and create the media that will represent me. And so that confidence is going to serve you really well. And that's, I think, what I would tell somebody.
0: Well, thank you very much. Uh, I, I, Even if it's cliche, it's important. It's important motivation to give, mm-hmm. you know, and I think it's just super important for you know trans entertainers or even those who are who are cis but are still a shade of queer just know to find your truth and stick to it and yep. know what brings you confidence what brings you joy and then you can really emulate that in your personal life or in your professional life in this exactly so where can people find you online
1: oh i'm everywhere online Um, You can find me on uh, YouTube and uh, TikTok under Case Menace, or Case Menace is how it's spelled. Um, And you can also find me on Twitter under Casey Aarons, that's C-A-S-Y-E-E-R-I-N-S. And then I also have my own podcast. Uh, It's called literaturepodcast.com. It's called This Is Lit. We drink and we do literary analysis.
0: Well, if you're listening to this on YouTube, I will have all of the links to their stuff in the description below. And if you're listening to this elsewhere, I'll type it, I'll type it out in the episode description. And yeah, now for our turn for plug. Uh, you can find us, The Queer Thespierance, on Twitter under just experience or on Instagram as The Queer Thespierance. We are on YouTube. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. So we're kind of all over the place. And you can also listen to us slowly, but surely we are spreading to anywhere you get your podcasts. I'm still fighting Apple Podcasts, but we'll see. (laughs) By the time this episode airs, maybe I will have reigned victorious in that fight with Apple Podcasts. Who knows? And so thank you so much for listening. And remember, all the world is a stage, so give them one hell of a show. This has been Casper Oliver with The Queer Thest Experience, joined by Case. And we are going to tune on out So thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye.